Hi, everyone. Welcome to the History Respawn podcast. I'm your host, Bob Whitaker. On this episode, I'll be talking to a pair of historians who served as historical advisors on the most recent version of the Oregon Trail game, published last year by developer Gameloft and available on Apple Arcade. Released around the 50th anniversary of the introduction of the Oregon Trail in Minneapolis, Gamesloft's version of the game is advertised as the most historically accurate version of Oregon Trail to date, and a version, in the words of the developers, that features respectful representations of Indigenous Americans. This desire for historical accuracy and better representation led Gameloft to reach out to a group of Indigenous scholars to help with the development process including our guest on today's episode. First, we have Dr. Margaret Hiddle, who is an assistant professor of history and ethnic studies at the University of Nebraska. Margaret is a scholar of Native American history and North American West, and her research examines indigenous sovereignty and settler colonialism in a transnational context. Margaret, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Nice to have you. And next, we have Dr. Katie Phillips, who's an assistant professor of American Indian history at McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota. Katie's research focuses on Ojibwe activism, environmentalism, and tourism. Katie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, Margaret, Katie, uh, just off the top, what kind of experience did you all have with the Oregon Trail prior to this project? So Margaret and I, um, we, we've known each other for a while. And I think for both of us, it was honestly growing up playing the game. You know, we are part of that generation, right? We're called, one of the names for us is the Oregon Trail generation. Mm-hmm. And so it was honestly really fascinating to kind of go from being, you know, kids playing the game to then being grown up historians, having a chance to, you know, revise it and revamp it. Yeah, I think it was the it's the first game that I remember playing on a computer, my first interaction with that kind of technology. And so, you know, to look back on it all of these years later, you know, the nostalgia um, mixed with obviously um, the more critical perspectives of an indigenous historian um, now. Yeah. I, I study the Oregon Trail as a research project, and you know one of the things I always get from older scholars is this kind of indifference or outright hostility to the idea of studying games as a potential vehicle for historical knowledge or, you know, uh, historical memory. And I'm like, look, everybody in my age group, I'm in my late 30s, just played Oregon Trail. You know, either we were forced to or we did it for fun. So, yeah, uh, yeah. So I'm right in the same boat as y'all. Um, So how did y'all come to work on this project? So um, we actually got involved with the project through kind of the Newberry Library, which has a research relationship with Houghton Mifflin, the publisher that um, initially owned the rights to the game. Um, And the game developers really wanted to, to... do something different with this game and do better than had been done in the past. So they reached out through the Newberry Library to um, to pull together a group of historians, not just on Native American history, but the American West, African American history more generally. Um, and it started with 
a Zoom conversation because this was back at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, right, Katie? Time has lost all sense of meaning, but that sounds about <laughs> right. It, we were definitely on Zoom. I know that much. Yes, we were definitely <laughs> on Zoom. Um, and yeah, and one of the first things they asked us was, you know, can this even be done? Can we include Indigenous people in this game in a meaningful, not tokenizing way? Um, which I, you know, was a great question to hear from the start because it showed they were thinking um, about how to do this, um, not just for like, not just for entertainment value, but also for um educational value as well and it was honestly i um it it felt like there was kind of a lot of pressure not externally right it wasn't coming from the developers or anything like that but oregon trail is kind of iconic and to one right to even be asked to update something that is so that has such a hold on so many people was a little nerve wracking. And then being asked, you know, how do we pull in indigenous history, right? How do we pull in all of these other histories into this game, right? Because you rarely find folks that are going to play Oregon Trail for the educational value, right? And so a lot of it was pulling on a lot of our, you know, teaching tricks and thinking about, you know, how can we present this information in a way that's going to be correct, that's going to be educational, while also maintaining the entertainment factor, Mm. which is the main draw for the game in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I don't know if you've played the game, and this is similar to the original game as well. There are very few words, Mm -hmm. which as a historian who likes to use a lot of words is very difficult because you're trying to get complex historical um, events and traumas and all of these things across in like the tiniest snippets Mm -hmm. of dialogue. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say... You know, as a historian, I completely agree. But at the same time, as somebody who's getting on in age and has a little bit of difficulty reading text on their phone, I do kind of appreciate the fact that there's not as much text in this game as there could potentially be in like a, a desktop version, for instance. So, But that's just me. I don't know. Um, so did you all have any experience with working on projects like this, either a game or a TV show or documentary or a film or anything like that before? This was the first time I'd gotten to do anything like this. I am admittedly not a gamer. I like Oregon Trail. I grew up in northern Wisconsin, so we had like Big Buck Hunter, but that was <laughs> kind of my the extent of, of my interaction with those. And so, you know, I've done a couple other, you know, media-related things, but a video game was definitely a new experience. For me as well, I haven't I haven't done anything else like like this. Probably the most fun I've had um, as a historian, though. Like I'm mean, just thinking of your work in a completely different context. is It's, it's exciting um, and it's fun to play around a little bit with history. Awesome. So, how was the working experience with the developers? And you know, I think for our academic audience for the show, I think they'd be curious to know, did 
the game developers come to you with a certain set of ideas in place and they were looking for fat checking or were they looking for you to help to provide some historical nuggets, some information that maybe they weren't aware of? Were they coming, you know, kind of as a, a blank slate, in other words? I think the answer is both. Um, they had some ideas already developing and then they also had, um, they, um, they also were asking us for ideas of historical figures to potentially incorporate. Um, and I mean, I'm pretty sure, I can't remember, um, Katie, was it them or Willie, Willie Bauer, um, who was the other indigenous historian working on the game with us, um, who found Black Beaver, the Lenape um, character who you follow through a lot of the game? I can't remember, but it was it was definitely a great experience because they one one of the things that always stood out to me was they always referred to us as the experts. And it was the first time they said it, I was like, oh God, no, like I'm not an expert. <laughs> but it was <laughs> but they, they trusted us. Right. And it, it sounds kind of corny to say like, you know, they trusted us. They believed us when we would say, you know, this might not be the best take for this. What if we do this instead? And Gameloft is based in Australia. And so aside from all of the logistical challenges of getting people, I think we were in like four or five time zones to <laughs> have a, to actually find a time to get us all on a call together. But they were pretty open about, you know, the, the limitations of their knowledge, right. Of the American West and things like that. And so they, they really did trust us. And, you know, Margaret and I have talked about this before, but one of, one of my favorite moments in working on this was you know they showed us kind of this mock-up of you know one of the layouts of the game and margaret was like oh you know it's i love that you have you know all of this detail and all of this but here's one tiny little thing that needs to change i think it was like the blanket designs mm. yeah the color of the of the blankets yeah was that kind of like new agey southwestern color instead of the you know colors it would have been yeah yeah, it seems like, you know, with Margaret, what, what you said about having less opportunity to use text that, you know, kind of the history of material culture would be really important to uh, and maybe really useful too. I mean, it is a game, it is a visual medium. So, you know, having those kinds of material aspects and having them depicted accurately, uh, I think would be, I mean, I'm sure was a big part of the work on this. Yeah, and another part of that was music, too, because I don't know if you, um, you know, a lot of people play, phone is constantly silent, never makes any noise, right? Mm. But um, if you play it with the sound on, they do have music. And one of the conversations that we had that I feel like was one of the more difficult conversations, although in the end, you know, it's one of those examples where they really respected our opinion, um, was there was just so much flute music, you know, <laughs> like the um the stereotypical emerging from the mist flute music trilling in the background um and they had genuinely tried to find indigenous artists that mm -hmm. they could sample um and you know they did actually switch from one um they had found samples of music that were from someone who claimed to be indigenous but like was not actually um indigenous and they 
took that those sounds out after we pointed that out and Katie uh, really you know tried to explain why um, the flute music um, you know is a, is problematic and you know has certain stereotypes associated um with it and um they did they toned down the flute and um that that, yeah that's another example of how they (laughs) incorporated our feedback on little details that i think in the end do make a difference that's excellent i mean i do play the game with sound on i've got a a nice pair of uh, airpod pros that i got for christmas and i used it use it when i put my three-year-old to bed actually and so he's there in bed and i'm sitting there with my phone playing this and some other games and you know i think it's so true with what you say about flute music i could think i want to say i think i would i think i had read i think it was a review that philip deloria had written about uh the music in last of the mohicans you know it's very famous a period piece movie um done by michael mann and daniel day lewis in uh I think it was 91, 92, something like that. And that has just got this rousing, very influential flute-based score. And I, w- I would bet that a lot of game developers and you know film producers kind of look at that as like, oh, this is what, when we're doing one of these stories, this is the type of music that we have to use. Yeah, and what was what was really interesting about that conversation is we had to be like, all right, you know, it's not as like in your face as the drum, right? It wasn't like the dun, 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 mm-hmm. dun, 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 when it's like, you know, you watch stagecoach and you're like, oh God, that means the Indians are coming. But it was, it was still, you know, we heard that flute and I think we both just kind of had almost like a visceral reaction mm-hmm. to it. Yes. And it was very much, you know, I think we both kind of had to step back and be like, okay, if we think about this historically, what is the best way to kind of get this across? And we actually went back to Phil Deloria's book, Indians in Unexpected Places, because he has a whole chapter on music, right? And thinking, and it's one of those things that you don't really think about, right? You're not supposed to think about the music behind the game, but it has such an enormous influence on how you interpret something. Mm-hmm. And so, and like Margaret said, they were great about it because we were like, we are well aware that this is like the most nitpicky we have been throughout this entire process. <laughs> but like we like it can't be there, right? Like we've done all of this work. You guys have done just an incredible job putting this together. And if we have that new AG flute trilling thing i love margaret's analogy of like emerging from the mist (laughs) that was great i love that yeah (laughs) like the minute we put that in there it's going to we're going to lose so much of that work that we've done Mm -hmm. yeah and you know i tell people all the time with looking at historical games is that they're different from historical films they're different from maybe a, a museum display a public history project that's just got text because with historical games, you've got to worry about text, you've got to worry about appearance, you've also got to worry about sound and all of that together at the same time. And so it's like it multiplies the ways in which a historical game can really, excuse my language, F things up really, really badly. You know, it's just like there's many more possibilities to screw up than there are for maybe a film or a TV show or, um, you know, public history display that's text-based. So... Yeah. Oh, yes. 
one of the little details that really just kind of um, hit me when we were seeing um, some of the mock-ups was the, the prairie. They do such a good job of capturing the landscape of the prairie and the sunsets and the different kinds of like um, native grasses and everything like um, that's one of those places where they're really using all of the tools available to try to um, yeah, to try to really situate the players in this environment. So, so do y'all think that this is the type of work that you would be interested in doing again? And I guess I'll go with Katie this time. Honest, I mean, I'd, I'd love to. It was a lot of fun to get to use, you know, this knowledge, this education kind of outside the classroom and to think about the range of a game like this. And, you know, it was when we got to see, you know, when we got towards the end and we got to see, you know, they would almost kind of like play it for us a little bit. And this sounds really ridiculous, but it was like, almost made me a little bit emotional because it was like, you know, like we said at the beginning, this was such a key facet of our lives growing up. And then to have had the opportunity to have an impact on something like this was like, it was phenomenal. It was honestly, it's one of the coolest things I've ever gotten to do. Yeah. And, you know, um, we helped to write the, they have an acknowledgement like that kind of directly confronts the history of dispossession, because this is still a game about settling the West. Um, and that, you know, that core element has not changed. And so to acknowledge that for indigenous peoples, this history was one of violence and dispossession, um, but also survivance. Um, and more people are going to read those words that I helped to write than pretty much anything else. I, I can guarantee oh. than anything else. You're still early uh, on. You might write something else. You'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I yeah, but that's it's true. I mean, you think about the reach of these games, particularly mobile games, which have such a greater audience than even things that appear on a desktop computer or a video game console. You know, many, 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 many more people play these types of games, and you know, particularly because this is a game that is available through. Um, what they call Apple Arcade, which is kind of a, a Netflix model for mobile games. Um, and so, you know, if you pay, I think it's $5 a month, you can gain access to this and play it an unlimited amount of time. Um, and it does have, you know, with this game, I think there are some of the um, mobile game conventions, uh, you know, particularly with kind of this idea of energy use and game mechanics that are built to try to encourage you to spend money uh, as much as possible. But, you know, I think at the same time, to have it as part of a subscription service through Apple, which is kind of the be all end all of, you know, mobile platforms. I think that's, that's really great. Yeah, really wide audience and hopefully one that's not just limited to North America. Yeah. And honestly, we were, <laughs> once, you know, we found out, you know, oh my God, like the game's been released. What's going to happen? I don't know about you, Margaret, but I was just like frantically refreshing my Twitter feed to be like, <laughs> oh, what are people going to say? Because again, right? Like it was a huge undertaking, but like one of the first things we saw was, you know, someone who mentioned the acknowledgement at the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, like Margaret said, this is still a game that celebrates 
settler colonialism, manifest destiny, like that conquering of the West and things like that. But for that to have an effect on people and for people to stop and be like, they really took the time, you know, to add this at the beginning, you know, that was one of the, the, the first things I saw about it. And it was, it was really awesome to see that people were recognizing that it, it's not just black and white, you know, there are a lot of nuances and what does it mean to revamp this game in a way that is still bringing native people into it. Mm-hmm. So that, that part was really cool was once we started to to see the response and the reaction to it. So I guess along those lines, do you think this is the type of work that you would share with students? I mean, is it the type of thing that maybe you would let students know that you had worked on, but also would you encourage students to maybe try this game out in a, a classroom setting or, or otherwise? Yeah, I teach classes on the U.S. West, and I've always used the original Oregon Trail, which you can play in some places online, and they have like card games and everything. And we always, um, that's one of the things that I like to use because it's something that students students relate to, and you can have fun engaging with it in class. And so I think pairing this game with the original game, and then also with games that were made um, by Indigenous game makers like when rivers were trails which is um a game that you can play for free um online i think um by um an ojibwe historian or sorry an ojibwe game maker um if you pair them together and look at the many different ways that we tell these stories about the west and our shared past and american expansion and how we got Um, where we are today, who we are today, um, I think that it's so, um, so good for students to see that there are multiple narratives that exist about the same historical events. And, you know, clearly, you know, Margaret and I have a lot of similar teaching interests and research interests. And I've used this in my class on the American West, I used it in my class on Native Americans and popular culture. And again, to pair it with when rivers were trails and to have, you know, there's a great NPR article that Margaret was quoted in when the game came out and to have our students really look critically at these multiple different um, things that are out there and just to see how they work together. Yeah, I think that's great. And I'm really encouraged to to hear that y'all, you know, use this and use the older game too in the classroom. I, you know, I, I think like Margaret, I use the older version of Oregon Trail as well as uh, a way to, to get students to understand, you know, how long a legacy this kind of material has and how many different ways, not just from textbooks, but from movies and games where we get historical memory, historical ideas. Um, and I think too, with, uh, the Oregon Trail, it's an easy kind of uh, softball pitch to a lot of students because, uh, you know, I have them play the game as a group. They argue amongst each other about when to ford a river, how much supplies to get, and all of this. And then at the end of that, all that, I'm like, okay, what is the story missing, right? You know, what is missing from this 1985 version of this game, which has had a huge influence on everybody. And so obviously they bring up things like the indigenous perspective, but then also, you know, there's no mention of the slave trade or the importance of slavery to westward expansion, all these things. So um, I think they're useful tools, even if the history in them are 
you know, incomplete and sometimes very bad. So yeah, I think that's great. But at least with this newer version, you know, we've got uh, uh, historians like yourselves working on it. So that's, that's really encouraging for me. I'm really excited uh, that y'all did this. And I'm glad to hear it was such a good experience. I, don't, I mean, it's, it's just really exciting to see that the reach or to see the reach that this new game has and that it's you know, people are coming back to it. And uh, like, we are quite literally the target market for mm-hmm. the revamp, right? Like mm-hmm. we're, we're the generation that played it originally. Um, you know, it's like now they have minivan commercials that play the songs we used to like dance to in clubs. It's like, this is that version of it. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, just, you know, to have people come back to it while there are also people who are finding it for the first time. So Okay, I think that's all the time we have for this episode of History Respawn. Margaret, Katie, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. You're welcome, and thank you. Yeah, thanks. It was great to be here. And thank you, listener, for tuning in to this episode of History Respawn. If you enjoy our work, please visit our website at historyrespawn.com. And if you really appreciate our work, uh, please consider supporting the show on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash historyrespawn. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.